0: You know, when, when I um, told my parents that I was going to be a pastor, my uh, my dad's first thought, and at this point in time, my parents were Christians. Um, they were they were coming to church with us on a regular basis. Uh, they were um, you know they were in the faith, and and you know they'd been around as I'd preached. I was serving as an I mean, so so they had some context for my decision to want to be a pastor, and it was great. Um, and they were all for it. Except I remember then having this conversation with my dad, where he explained to me that inevitably I was going to be a part of a church where things were going to fall apart. That I was going to be part of a church where um, I was going to make enough people mad that I was going to be asked to leave, or that I was going to be a part of a church where enough people would get mad at me that they would leave, loudly. And that this would inevitably happen, and this was the way it always happened in his experience, growing up in small churches, uh, going to church with my grandparents, that was the way that it always happened. It was one of the reasons why he quit going, because that was just in his mind, that was the way that it always had to end. And of course, when I explained to him that, you know, Dad, I I don't think that's how it has to end, um, he just was like, well, I'm older than you are smarter than you are. Matt, I'm better looking than you are. And so therefore, you'll find out. And, and, and that's what it was. And, and uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll have the conversation again someday, I would suppose. Hopefully I'll be able to say, see, I told you. Um, but then when he found out we were coming here and we kind of shared the story of how this church got started. And for those of you that don't know, this church started from a church split. It wasn't pretty. Uh, predated me by a good uh, eight years, nine years. But when I shared that story with him, you know, he kind of had that smug look on his face, like, hmm, <laughs> hmm, <laughs> <laughs> told you. I was like, but it doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to. But you know what it does? It happens a lot. And, and the reason it happens a lot is because we are not good at dealing with church hurt. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we start talking about the objections of why church? Why church? What are we doing with church? Why is church necessary? Why should I put myself in that situation? Why should I continue to be at a place? Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about if I'm already a Christian, why do I need to go to church? Can't I just get it at home? Okay, if you, if you miss that and you're not sure about that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen online. Okay, Then last week we talked about this idea that well, I, I'm pretty messed up. And if I'm pretty messed up, why do they even want me there? Will they accept me there? Will I be okay as a broken, goofy, messed up guy showing up at church? And of course the answer was, well, of course you will be because church is for you. See, but something gets lost between number two, which is yes, you're messy and yes, church is for you. And today's objection, which says, well, I've been hurt before, so why should I risk it again? And If you're thinking ahead, you already understand what the problem is. And we'll talk about it in a minute, but first I need to tell you something. You remember last week how I told you that I hate the doctor and the hospital? There's one thing worse. Express care clinics. There is nothing so painful as going to the ready-med clinic sitting for hours waiting for your turn all because you didn't believe your kid when they told you they were sick. Who's been there? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'm sick. I'm sick. No, you're not. Toughen up. I'm sick. I'm sick. I threw up. No, you didn't. (laughs) Show me. I flushed it. Well, then it's not real because as a kid, I was that kid who would, I'd, you know, I'd get the big cup of water from the kitchen, and I'd go to the bathroom, make sure the door was open so parents that were in their bedroom could hear me, and I'd make the noise and dump out the cup, and then real quick flush the toilet. My like, guys, I'm sick. I can't go to school today. So my assumption is my kids are always lying to me. Um, I should probably deal with that. On an emotional level, at some point in time. But the point is this the point is this, I never believe them. And so, because of that, there are often times when I find myself having to go to the express care clinic place. Because it turns out, 103 is not just gonna go away on itself. <laughs> and strep throat is a real thing. And so, there's those moments, and I, the last time it was like two it's been two years, that's pretty good for us. But it was a couple of years ago, and it was here, we lived in Vinton. And Aubrey was sick, and and I ended up taking her to the ready-med place in Marion, I think, or Hiawatha or somewhere that I didn't know was a real place until I went there. And we walk in, and we sign our name on the paper, and there's like 10 names in front of us. And then I go sit in the waiting room, and guess who's there? A lot of sick people. That's the part I hate the most. Like, if I could just sit there and read my book for an hour, that would be fine. But there's a bunch of sick people in there. Kind of wonder, though, like, who did I expect to be there? See, and that's what happens here with us. That's the problem with all of this. It's like, who exactly do I expect to be at church? If church is for messy, broken sinners, then when I, as a messy, broken sinner, show up at church did I really expect everybody there to be healthier than I was? And so I get church hurt because people act like messy, broken sinners. I'm like, well, they don't have a right to act that way. Well, of course they do. They're broken. But something happens where it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. But look, if churches are for messy people, then that's who's going to be at church. And so if somebody who's messy and broken lets me down... Well, I need to get over it. I need to stop expecting. If you, by the way, if you came here today thinking, oh man, I've really been hurt at church before, but Matt's going to give me this positive, encouraging thing. It's going to help me move past it. That was it. You just missed it. <laughs> you need to get over it. We'll talk more. We'll get into some scripture. We'll discuss why and how we can just get over it. But this is the reality of it. You need to get over it because why do you think you're the only one? that has a right to be broken. Man, I have got so many issues. And I show up here at church every day. And I grow, and I try, and I strive, and I ask God, and I trust God, and I trust my small group, and I trust the people I surround myself with, and I grow. But it doesn't mean my issues go away. It doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm perfect. And so you know what? I'm going to screw up. And and I know that. And because I know I'm not perfect, I expect people to give me a little slack. So why do I assume I'm the only one that deserves that? When I go to express care clinic, there's going to be sick people in the waiting room. It's because that's what it is. If the church is a hospital, and that's what we said last week, then you know what? There's going to be sick people here. People that need grace, people that need slack, people that need a little bit. And that's what we give them. Okay? And, and in, in case you think that's just me, no, it's not just me. This is something that the early church has struggled with, this is something that the church throughout history has struggled with. Um, it's something that Paul felt the need to address because it was happening so much in the church. Okay? As Paul was going from town to town, preaching the gospel, establishing churches, okay? and then he would move on to another town and establish a church and preach the gospel, but then he would hear from churches in towns that he'd already been to. And they would write him letters and they would have people come to him and ask him these big questions because they had all kinds of trouble figuring out what to do when things go wrong. And so Paul would respond with letters. A lot of what we read in the New Testament, the epistles, are Paul's responses to churches that he's established, that are getting strong, that are growing, that are sharing the gospel, but they've got garbage. And they've got garbage because the church is full of messy people. Paul's never confused about why there's garbage. Paul's never upset about the fact that sin is happening in a church or that people are doing dumb things in a church because he understands that the church is for people that mess up. And because the church is for people that mess up, Paul responds with letters about how they can fix it and how they should respond to one another. As we read in the book of Colossians, we're going to see something very specific that happens. We're going to read uh, just four verses. I'm sorry, three verses together. Okay, uh, it's going to take us a while, though. So let's get right into it. Okay, we're going to start with uh, 12, and we're going to go all the way through all the way through 14. So get this: since God chose you to be holy people, holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Okay, so that's the text there. And we're gonna, we're gonna go through this, but we're gonna break it down and we're gonna go a little bit at a time and we're gonna see how Paul calls us as individuals in a broken church with broken people. By the way, side note, for anybody here that acts like you have it all together, you should quit that. (laughs) And you should quit it for two very important reasons. One is, you're lying. I mean, honestly. Because we don't all have it together. And I'm not saying that I I need to walk around um, telling everybody every mistake I've ever made. That's not what I mean. But, but don't be hypocritical. You don't walk around acting like you've got everything figured out when you don't have everything figured out. That doesn't mean that I walk around and, and I'm like, hi, my name's Matt. Nice to meet you. I mess up all the time. Glad you came today. Okay? But you know those people. You know those people that act like everything is perfect. Don't do that. Okay, don't do it because one, it's not right, and two, you don't do it because then when you inevitably make a mistake, you've set yourself up because you were the one that was acting like you had everything right. You went out of your way to show that you had everything perfect, and then when you mess up, and you will mess up, they're going to look at you and they're going to wonder, well, did you do it on purpose? And you're going to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, and they're going to be like, really? Really? Because you got everything together, you're just causing yourself grief. We we need to stop acting like we've got this all figured out, because we don't, okay? We don't. All right, we're going to get in here, and and let's let's break this down a little bit. Colossians uh, 3, we'll start with uh, 12 and 13, or the first half of 13, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You bear with each other. We start here with this understanding of who Paul's talking to. See, what you have to appreciate is that he says this, therefore, as God's chosen people. That's you. Paul's writing to the church. Now, this is a shift. It's a shift in thinking culturally because God's chosen people, up until the time of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross and the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, God's chosen people were Jews. Jews. They were literally a people group that God chose through Abraham, okay, and he and he blessed them and he worked with them and he, he continued to to serve them and honor them serve them is the wrong word, but honor them and, and do things for them and they became a nation. And God interacted with them and there were times he blessed them because of their obedience and there were times he cursed them because of their disobedience. Uh, There was a moment where he sent them into exile because they just couldn't get it right. And then there was a time when because he is good and gracious and loving, he brought them home, okay? They were his chosen people and all of that leads us to Jesus. And then now with Jesus, we say, okay, no longer are we worried about being a Jew or a Gentile. Being a slave, or being free, or being a man, or being a woman, or being rich, or being poor, or being black, or being white, any of those distinctions, no longer do those distinctions matter. What matters now, what's most important now, is that you as a Christian are God's chosen people. So I tell you this morning, as we start this, as we start to kick this off, as we start to understand what's happening, if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, then this statement is for you. Now, if you're here this morning and you haven't surrendered to Christ, okay, I'm not, and when I say Christian, again, we've talked about this so many times, but I'm compelled always to tell you again, it's not a matter if I went to church that one time, or I said my prayer, or I was confirmed, or I took my first communion, or I was baptized, or any of those things. Christian is someone that is submitted to and is following Jesus Christ, A Christian is someone who knows that they are broken, they know they are a sinner, and they know that Jesus is the only sacrifice that will do. Okay, If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, then you are someone who is God's chosen person. You are part of the church. You are part of God's chosen people. And by that definition, you are holy and dearly loved. That's it. You are holy and dearly loved. Loved because you are God's chosen person. If that is not how you see yourself, then all of the rest of this is not going to make sense. Okay, I hope you stay with me this morning, but some of you just need to stop right there and you need to deal with this issue because you are God's chosen person people, you are holy and dear loved, and that is dearly loved, and that is an individual statement to you as a member of the church if you're a Christian here this morning. Stop acting like it's otherwise. You need to stop acting like God's angry with you. You need to stop acting like God's out to get you. You need to stop acting like you've got to do certain things so that God will look kindly on you and that God will... No, if you are a Christian here today, then you are God's chosen people and you are holy and you are dearly loved period that's how you need to see yourself so that the rest of this makes sense okay and then we continue we say well if it's true that you are god's chosen people and you are holy and dearly loved then this is a statement that you need to understand you should clothe yourself with compassion with kindness with humility with gentleness and with patience. And right there, some of you are thinking, I knew there was a catch. You're like, wow, Hans is being all positive this morning? You knew there was a catch, right? Because here's the thing, we we, we have to understand this for what it is. You are God's chosen people. You are holy and dearly loved. Then what naturally flows from being God's chosen people that are holy and dearly loved is that you will get dressed up. You ever, come on, who likes to get dressed up? How come there's never any men that raise their hand to that question? Do you like to get dressed up? Tuxedo kind of a thing? A suit? All right. And any Sunday, man. Okay. I won't, but that's cool. Okay, But here's the deal. Here's the deal. He says, get dressed up. Wear the appropriate attire. Because you are a Christian, because you are God's chosen person, because you are holy and dearly loved, then start dressing up with compassion and humility and patience and gentleness and kindness and all of it. Let it pour out of you if this is true about you. See, and you have to start here when it comes to church hurt. You have to start here when it comes to church hurt because part of what this is going to tell you as a Christian, if you've walked away from church because you were hurt, and by the way, a lot of people don't walk away from church because they're hurt. Some people do. But you know what a lot of people do? Some people go away from church and they never... When this church was formed, you heard it in the video, I referenced that it was because of a church split. And some people stayed and went to church there. Some people decided that they wanted to worship together and that God was calling them to form a church and they formed this one. Some people, they stayed home and they never went anywhere. Because they weren't sure they should risk it again. You know, you've heard that phrase, like fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, well, that's shame on me because I should never have put myself in a position to be fooled twice. Some people really take that to heart, and they're like, I should never have put myself, I will never put myself in a position to be disappointed, to be burned, or to be hurt again. And so some people stay home, but a lot of people, you know what they do? They don't stay home. They show up every Sunday. They're still here. They stand up. They sing. Um, you know, they listen. They, they, but they keep everybody at arm's length. You know, and, and and there might be some of you here that that describes because of church hurts that are in the past. Um, you're you're keeping everybody at arm's length, and so you're not willing to get your sleeves rolled up and you're not willing to get plugged in and you're not willing to be a part of a small group and you're not willing to stick around for Sunday school and you're not willing, um, you're, you're not willing um, to jump in where there's needs and you're not willing to go deeper and you're not willing to get plugged in. And you're not willing to do accountability and you're not willing for those things. And the reason is because you've been burned and you're like, well, I'm not walking away from the church, but I'm certainly not going to put myself in a position where it could happen again. And if that's where you find yourself, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, you're God's chosen person. You're holy and you're dearly loved. You're supposed to get dressed up with compassion. That means you're supposed to, you're supposed to have an attitude that says, you know what? I get that people make mistakes. And I, and I don't want to get mad at them for making mistakes. I want to pour out for them when they make mistakes. And you're supposed to have an attitude of kindness and gentleness and humility, humility that says, you know what? I've done that same thing before. I've made that same mistake before. One just like it, maybe one even worse than it. And so I'm going to be humble and I'm going to understand that I'm not the only one that has a right to be that way. And I'm going to be patient with people, knowing that they're not fully grown in faith. See, we, we, we look at this, be clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And... Um, We tend to have different um, ideas. If we're new, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, if we're new Christians, we tend to think this is something that those mature Christians have to worry about. When they're mature, they have to worry about this. But sometimes it's even worse from this end. We have the mature Christians who look back and they're like, yeah, I've been there, done that. Now I know better, and uh, they need to figure this out. I'm just right all the time because I'm I'm a more mature Christian. I've been a Christian for longer, so I'm just right all the time, and so they need to figure that out. But both of those are wrong. This isn't an opt-out thing. Jesus isn't saying, hey, listen, once a month, get dressed up and go out for a dinner date. No, 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 he's saying, look, this is who you are, so this is how you dress. You dress with compassion. You dress with gentleness. You dress with humility. You dress with kindness, and you dress with patience. And then he says this, Here it is. Bear with one another. Some of you might be wondering, okay, Matt, you want me to be compassionate? You want me to be kind and gentle and patient? You want me to be humble? What does it look like? Well, here's what it looks like. Bear with each other. Bear one another's burdens. Share life with each other. You know what? This is, again, I'm going to make another plug for small groups, and this is part of the problem. See, it is, if you really are part of a small group... If you really are plugged into a Sunday school class, not just where you sit and listen and go home, but one where you interact with one another, one where you you share life with one another, if you're part of an accountability group, if you've got a group of people that are working together, this is part of how this works. I carry each other's burdens. That's what Paul says here in, in, in Colossians. He says, bear with one another. Okay, He says it differently in Galatians, but it means the same thing. Carry each other's burdens. And when you do that, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. By the way, the law of Christ is to love one another. That's what he says in the upper room. He says, this is a new law that I'm giving you. It's not really new. It's just reworked. It says, love each other the way that I've loved you. Greater love has nothing over this that you'd lay down your life for your friends. But this is what's happening here. This is what we're doing. He says, love one another. This is the law of Christ. He says, carry each other's burdens, share life with one another. And that's how you act as God's holy people, dearly loved, chosen. The problem is this. The problem is that the burdens you want to carry, the burdens that you're willing to carry, aren't always the burdens that people have. Somebody dies and i want to come alongside them and i want to love them and i want to hug them and i want to cry with them and i want to cook meals for them and i want to i want to i want to share that burden i want to help them carry it somebody acts like a tool i don't want anything to do with that burden that burden makes me mad that burden's their own fault. That burden is their problem. I want nothing to do with that burden, and so I back away, right? Somebody, somebody has a, um, a tragedy. I'm going to pour myself out for them. I'm going to share that burden, and I'm going to feel good about doing it. Somebody says something I don't like, or they hurt my feelings, or they, they let me down, or they stab me in the back. I want nothing to do with that burden. I'm not going to help them carry that. I'm not going to help them grow through that. Why would I? But that's how the world thinks. That's not how it works in the church. It's not how it's supposed to work in the church. What Paul says, Paul says you are God's chosen people. You are holy, dearly loved. So get dressed up with compassion, gentleness, patience, humility, kindness. And because you're dressed up in those things, you will share life with each other. And life is hard. And life is messy. And life is problematic. Listen, loving people is scary. Loving people costs. Loving people is risky. I mean, by show of hands, by show of hands, how many of you have felt like, you know what? I risked to love and care for and come alongside somebody that needed it, to help where help was needed. And I, I risked and I got burned. I mean, that, that, that's well over half of us. See, this is risky. And so, what people do is they get hurt and they say, Well, so why would I ever risk it again? Because you're Christian. Because you're following Jesus. I mean, have you ever thought about what Jesus risked? Vince and I were having a nice conversation the other day. We we have this, you ever wonder why I don't get as much work done as I used to? (laughs) It's because we hired Vince. And occasionally, Vince will come into my office and he'll say, hey, Matt, do you have a moment for random thoughts? We've actually, it's happened so often that we've decided it needs a theme song. And the question was, what did Jesus risk coming here? He knew his death would happen. He knew resurrection would happen. What did he risk? Did he risk? You know, and and from a human perspective, well, I suppose not. There was really nothing risky about it because the outcome was certain. But from a love perspective... He risked everything. He gave everything. He risked everything so that the people that he loved and cared for and preached grace and truth to the people he poured himself out for would nail him to a cross. That he would be separated from the love of the Father. This, this in, in, infinite relationship, three, the triune God together, unified, that on the cross he would be ripped apart from them. We've talked about this. He risked the God of the universe who created the universe, who's omnipresent, all of a sudden is confined to a womb for nine months. I get stir crazy when I can't leave my house over a weekend. But the God of the universe, who's omnipresent, says, I'm I'm just going to hang out here in Mary's womb for nine months. He risked everything and this is what it says, carry each other. This is how you fulfill the law of Christ. Risk for each other. Love one another. And see, he continues. And, and, and part of what we have to do here, church, is we have to stop being so easily offended. Stop finding offense in every little, small thing I am afraid that in this way, we are looking a whole lot like as a church, uh, and not just this church, but this one too, to a degree, but just the church in general, that we are looking a whole lot like the rest of the world. A world where you can't say anything without fear of offending somebody where people are looking for ways to be offended. Carrie and I have had this conversation before, and I remember telling her with all sincerity at one point in time, look, if there is two ways to take what I'm going to say to you, and one of them is, okay, that was nice, and one of them is, I'm going to get offended by that, always take it this way. (laughs) And if I meant it differently, trust me, eventually you'll know. We need to stop being offended so easily, church. We bear with one another's burdens. We act with gentleness and kindness and patience and humility and compassion. We stop getting so worked up about things that don't go exactly right. We stop having our intent. We stop looking for ways. We need to look differently than the rest of the- This is how the rest of the world does it right now. This is how the rest of the world does it right now. They get offended about everything. And I'm not, I mean, everybody on all sides of issues get offended by everything. And we need to knock it off. And you know what? We need to stop playing into that culture. We need to stop going along with it. We need to act with grace and humility and compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience. Clothe ourselves in those. And, and this is how it continues. Oh, well, here I'll, I'll show you this real quick. Proverbs 19:11 just says this: "A person's wisdom yields patience. Get this. It is to your glory to overlook an offense." Again, we get so easily offended about little things, but the Bible says it's to our glory. This is biblical wisdom. Worldly wisdom says we're on the lookout for ways and we need to stomp that down and we need to hold it down and if people offend you, you need to throw it back in their face and you need to win those arguments and you need to make sure because there's so much other stuff at stake. Listen, biblical wisdom says it is to your glory to overlook an offense. That's what it is. As a Christian, when you're clothed in compassion and humility and patience and kindness and gentleness, when grace rules the day, it is to your glory to overlook an offense. That means I literally have something. See, we get offended so easily. We get offended over things that we shouldn't get offended by. And that's a problem. But it's even worse when scripture says when you should be offended, when something offensive did happen, you should also overlook that offense. It's to your glory, to your honor, to have somebody insult you, to have something that you can be offended by. And instead of going away hurt by the church or by people in the church or by your brothers and sisters in Christ or your brothers and sisters in flesh or whatever it is, instead of being hurt by those things, I overlook that offense. That's to your glory. But Paul continues. And he says, look, here's the other thing. Not only do you clothe yourself in humility and gentleness, and compassion, and kindness, and patience, not only do you bear each other's burdens, overlooking offenses where they need to be, being careful not to get offended where you have no right to be offended, or even overlooking it when you do have a right to be offended, if there is something that needs to be dealt with, that you forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And this is where we're going to park and we're going to land here this morning because this is the reality. What's happened in our world just a little bit is that we don't forgive well. See, people that go away church hurt when I say you need to get over it, okay? The reason I say we need to get over it is because, biblically speaking, you're called to something better, Biblically speaking, you're called to overlook an offense if you can. If you can't, you deal with it, but you deal with it with a goal towards forgiveness. Some of you in this very room right now have told me that you cannot forgive. I can't forgive. I won't forgive. Or you've said things like, well, I forgive, but I won't risk again. Well, I'm not sure that's really forgiveness. Not in terms of the church. But forgiveness forgiveness is necessary if you're going to move forward. Forgiveness is necessary if you're going to be who God has called you to be. Okay? And sometimes forgiveness takes confrontation. See, you you bear one another's burdens. You overlook offenses where you can overlook offenses, but there's sometimes you can't overlook an offense. There's sometimes you shouldn't overlook an offense. You can't overlook an offense when it starts getting into the way that you and that person interact, okay? Um, If Dee and I have an issue and I try to overlook it, but it keeps getting in the way and I keep treating her differently or we keep having an issue and, and I keep being angry at her, I'm not overlooking it well and it needs to be dealt with. We need to confront it. Okay? So sometimes I can't overlook. Sometimes I shouldn't overlook an offense. When sin is blatant and there is hurt involved and that hurt is going to continue, I can't overlook that. I shouldn't overlook that. I should deal with that. But I should always deal with it with an eye towards forgiveness. I forgive as the Lord forgave me. And Matthew 18 spells this out for you real quickly here. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault. Now, I don't speak Greek, but I do use Greek language tools a lot when I prepare sermons for you, and I've done some pretty significant study on this issue. Okay? If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. In the original language, do you know what that means? It means just the two of you. It's not tricky. If you've got issue with me, guess what? There's only one person you ought to be talking to about your issue with me, and it's me. If I have issue with you, there is only one person that I ought to be talking to about my issue with you. That's the way this is supposed to work. I'm like, but Matt, that's uncomfortable. I <sighs> know it's risky and it hurts. But it's what it is. If your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault. Just the two of you. And if you can't get it resolved, well then you should put it on Facebook is what a different version of the Bible might say. But this one says, no, 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 no. If they won't listen, then take somebody along with you so that you can have witnesses and you can have a third party and you can have somebody there. And if that still won't get resolved, then you take it to the church. And we've talked about this before. In this context, in this setting, in this culture, taking it to the church means I take it to the elders. Where in there does it say that I just go to random third parties? Where in there does it say, I just walk away from the church and have nothing to do with it ever again because I was hurt? Where in there does it say, well, fine, I'll show up at church, but I'm going to keep everybody at arm's length because I don't want to risk it again. There's nowhere in there that it says that. What it says is, okay, that you go through the steps. And why it says, why did we go through the steps? We go through the steps because our goal is to forgive as the Lord forgave you couple of quick things. Forgiveness is simple. This, it's a decision, not a feeling. Some of you have come to me and you've said, hey, listen, I tried to forgive, but I didn't feel it. If that's you, okay, then I want to speak some wisdom to you right now. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision. See, stuck Christians will say things like, I tried to forgive, but I just didn't feel it. And so I can't forgive. If you've ever felt like you can't forgive, then it's because you are a wrong understanding of forgiveness and a wrong understanding of the God of the universe. Forgiveness is a decision. See, growing Christians say, I've decided to forgive. I've made the decision to forgive. And regardless of how I feel, I trust that God will help me see it through. I may not feel differently today, but I'm going to act differently today because I've decided to forgive and I'm trusting God and I'm praying to God and I'm asking the Holy Spirit and and I'm trusting that there will be a point where I feel like I've forgiven. Guys, ask the praise team to come up. I'm going to prepare to close this out here. And this is the challenge I want to give you. This is the challenge I'm giving you as you go on. We sang that song earlier about surrendering okay, I surrender, I surrender, I want to know you more. All of this, all of what we do today, all of what we're talking about as we start, as, as we work through this series about why church, is we're trying to understand that as a Christian, as a Christian, you, you're better than that. And, and, and you've been asking the wrong questions. I'm, I'm a Christian, Why do I need to go to church? Guys, that's the wrong question. I am a Christian. The Holy Spirit lives in me. God has saved me from my depravity. Once I was lost, now I'm found. How often can I be at church? Ought to be your question. I mean, I can only imagine... Paul, traveling from town to town preaching the gospel, if somebody had the audacity to say to him, hey, Paul, I'm a Christian. Do I really have to show up at these gatherings? (laughs) What is that kind of thinking? And, you know, I, 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 I have sin in my life. Should I really go to church where people, you know, are perfect? Come on. We know better than that. And and you're hurt, so you want to not risk anything. You not want to share your life with other people because you're hurt. But God says, look, forgive. You know why you forgive? Because you were forgiven. Listen to me. I have no idea what your objections are to church this morning. But I would imagine that they're along these lines. I just don't feel like it's important for me. Okay? Or I feel like maybe I've got too much baggage and people will judge me. Or, or maybe this one this morning is that simply thinking that, you know what, I don't trust people at church. I've been hurt by people at church. I don't want to risk getting hurt again. And I'm going to tell you that Jesus' answer is the same for all of those objections. And the answer is grace. Grace. You know how he finally ends this? I got to skip ahead one more. I'm sorry, guys. I got you up here, and I'm going to make you stand there. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. The answer is love. Why? Why would I risk it? Because of love. Why would I show up when I don't really have? Because of love. Why would I serve when I can just relax and sit on the side? Love. Over everything, over compassion, gentleness, humility, peace, kindness, patience, grace, over all of it, here's what he says. Put on love, which binds them all together. Think of it like a burrito. (laughs) You get all the deliciousness in there, and then you wrap it all together with a tortilla. That's a terrible analogy, but it's getting close to (laughs) lunchtime. Feeling a little hungry? I don't even like Mexican food that much. (laughs) Feel like we went off the rails. Let's go back to love. That's what he says. He says, wrap yourself in love. Because that binds everything together. And guys, love is risky. And love is... is It's dangerous and it hurts. But it's worth it. And it's what Jesus poured out for you, and he says that's 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 how you get this together. You're like, but Matt, how do I grow in compassion? How do I grow in gentleness? How do I grow? You know what? Put on love. It's how it works. And some of you here as we sing this last song, some of you need to, to really, really, really focus on love. Some of you need to get past your issues. I can't get you past your issues. God can. Some of you really need to focus in on God and some of you really need to hear what God has to say as he says, what's next for me? How do I do this? You know what? God, God will help you grow in love. God will help you go in grace. You just need to trust him. And it starts with maybe just giving it. As we sing this last song, I ask you to stand. As we sing this last song, okay, if you've got something that you need to deal with, okay, then just let's deal. Between you and God and the quietness of your heart, let's deal. Father God, we just, we come before you this morning and as, as, we, as we pray, uh, and we reflect and and even just to think of that last song and, and and how it all connects together god we just we just pray that that your holy spirit will help us do this 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 laying it down this this coming to the cross with the hurt and with the pain and with all of it and just giving it to you and saying okay god i am holy and dearly loved god i, I just I pray that you'll help us with that because it's not easy to do. And love is risky and it's painful. But when we come to the cross and we lay it all down, it can't go badly. I mean, it it might temporarily sting and it might cost, but it's temporary. And there is nothing that you can't fix. And there is nothing that heaven can't heal. And so God, as we go from here today, we ask you to give us a renewed spirit of compassion and gentleness and humility and kindness and peace. Help us understand that grace rules the day and that grace is not just for us. It's for those people that we come in contact with. It's for those that we love and it's for those that we struggle to love and it's for those that let us down. God, we just love you and we ask you to teach us and grow us in grace. Amen.